Hello, my name is Vicky Gay and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Manager Many of the economies of sub-Saharan Africa are performing better than much of Europe. In fact, the region has just completed one of the best decades of growth since the 1960s. This is because it has learned lessons from the past, says Uganda's finance minister, Mareki Wanuka, who is optimistic about the outlook for the continent. Speaking to me earlier, I asked Iwanuka to identify some of the tangible reasons for Africa's ongoing robust growth. Let me answer from the point of view of Uganda, but I'm sure it applies to more than a few of the other African countries. First of all, our banking system was not at that time integrated into the international system. And all banks that came to work in Uganda from overseas had to register as local entities and operate under local banking rules. The second reason is that apart from exporting so-called luxury items like cut flowers and fresh fish to Europe, Middle East and Asia, we also export a lot of staple foods to the region, the neighboring countries. So that export demand kept up. And the third reason why I think we're insulated is we have two food harvests a year. We did not have any great food shortage. So we were affected on the financial side. You know, inflation went up, interest rates went up, but the basic stayed solid. And I think that was also partly due to very modest borrowing, stable exchange rates, and free market principles. Do you think other African countries have this dynamism? I would think so, yes. We've all in Africa learned a lot during the 90s and the 80s. And there's also the commodity prices. Those of us with natural resources, especially minerals, but also things like coffee and tea, they also had a major demand rise from the emerging countries such as China. Critics argue that this growth of low-income countries actually is fueled by high commodity prices rather than much sounder fundamentals, such as high investment levels, you know, investment in education and such. So what would you respond to that? I would contend that, yes, there was an element of gain from the commodity prices increase, but I think it must be acknowledged that sub-Saharan Africa, over the last 10 years or so, has made a deliberate effort to straighten out its borrowing. Um, we all trying to finance more of our national budgets from domestic tax collections. We have been prudent about taking on non-concessional aid, which is another big problem for the Eurozone. So, yes, I think Sub-Saharan Africa deserves a pat on the back. Regardless, there are still um, many changes that African countries face in their path to becoming middle-income countries and then emerging markets. So what are those challenges? First of all, we're now, all of us, getting more interlinked into the global financial system. So we have to make sure we have firewalls for that. We are all now having to take on more non-concessional aid as the concessional avenues dry up. And as we go into more public-private partnerships, again, we need to be more business-like. We have an infrastructure gap for transport and power. We must find money to address this because that is what we need in order to make sure we get sustainable development in the future. Do you think that integration is one of the avenues that African countries should pursue to actually increase their growth and ease up some of those challenges that you just mentioned? To the extent that is feasible, yes. Um, in East Africa, for instance, we are pursuing a very aggressive regional integration policy, but it's, we've been doing it over the last 10 years. We started off with a customs union, then now we've got a common market uh, union, and now we're looking at a monetary union before we move on to a political union. So you have to be judicious, 
you have to make sure that everything you're doing has a net benefit to your people. You just said that you're looking at a monetary union, which is very interesting. Aren't you scared of the example of the Eurozone? We're taking full advantage of that free tutorial. So now turning back to Uganda, the country that you serve, Uganda had gone through a difficult period in the past two years. Growth fell from 6.6% in 2011 to 3.4% in 2012. And this was due to a mix, I believe, of international economic environment and high inflation. How is Uganda doing today? Uganda is doing much better today. We've got past the last 18 months where we had to deal with the high inflation and all the other knock-ons from the global crisis. We're like a patient who's had a bout of malaria. We're recovering. We've lost some weight. And we need to make sure we have a good nutrition program and a good exercise program. We are putting our limited investment resources where we'll get most bang for our buck. This is in infrastructure, uh, roads, power, waterways, and railways. In this way, we hope to lower the cost of doing business by lowering transport costs for farmers and traders. Uh, we hope that by increasing power generation and rolling out the transmission network, we'll get power to all of Uganda so that people don't have to drift to the major urban centers in order to get an improved standard of living. So what we need to do is to make sure that each uh, acre of farmland has improved productivity, and the improved productivity is then taken into agro-processing for exports and for food security. That way we hope more and more households will be able to get a higher income and better distributed across the country. Sustainability and inclusiveness is the watchword. So let me ask you to finish. What do you think? How is Africa future? Is it bright? I think Africa future is in Africa's hands. It will be as bright as we can make it. And that was Maria Kiwanuka speaking about Africa's ongoing robust growth. And to hear more podcasts, log on to www.soundcloud.com slash imf-podcasts.